Please join me and take out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 48. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to the author once again and ask his blessing. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word which you have breathed out. We thank you, Father, that you have preserved your word even to this day that your people may know you and know what you ask of us in response to what you have done for us in Christ. So, Father, be pleased to give us understanding, illumine our minds, be pleased, Father, to warm our often cold hearts. Help us to receive and embrace what we're going to learn about Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I believe we're at the next to last psalm in our uh, summer psalm series. Next week will be Psalm 49. Um, I guess that means we're almost a third of the way through the whole Psalter. So it's going to take a few more years. Um, I, uh, I know most of us live in Kentucky, um, across the Ohio River, but some of you guys live north of the Ohio River, but for all intents and purposes, all of us live in the city of Cincinnati. Well, maybe not within the city limits, but of course, what happens in Cincinnati affects all of us. No matter how far south of the city uh, we may live, or north of the city as well, um, I didn't know much about Cincinnati before moving out here. I, I moved sort of sight unseen, uh, but of course through the years I've, I've gotten to know the city a bit better, as I'm sure all of us have. But I want to ask this question as we begin. How would you describe the city of Cincinnati? I mean, if you had to choose maybe four words or four expressions, what would you choose to, to describe the city of Cincinnati? I mean, is it the Queen City? Is it the home of the world champion Reds a long time ago? Um, is it the only place in the world where they make and you eat Geta? I mean, what else is Cincinnati distinguished by or, or known for? So just think about that, maybe over lunch with your family. How would you describe the city of Cincinnati? Well, Psalm 48 is one of those psalms that speaks of Zion, speaks of the city of God, that is the city of Jerusalem. And so I think we're going to learn a bit about the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, by spending the next few minutes in Psalm 48. But before we focus our attention on Psalm 48, I, we need to think about the city of Jerusalem in Scripture. Uh, there's, the, of course, the physical city of Jerusalem, uh, Mount Zion, the hill on which the city was built and where the temple stood, chosen by God to be the defining place of his presence with and among Israel. It was where his name was going to dwell, and it's no wonder David wanted to make that the capital city, kind of a, a good location, a high location. So it's a physical city, the city of Jerusalem, but it's also a spiritual city. When we read Jerusalem in the scriptures, we might have to think spiritual city, the city above, as we would read in Galatians 4. 
the heavenly city of Jerusalem, as we would read in Hebrews chapter 12. There's the physical city of Jerusalem. There is the spiritual city, the, spirit, the city from above, the, the heavenly city that's already here for God's people. But then there's the physical, spiritual city of the new Jerusalem, the, the, the Jerusalem to come, as we just heard read from Revelation 21. You've got the already of the city above, the heavenly city, but you've got the not yet of the new city of Jerusalem. In a week or two, we're going to receive a new member of the church. And when, I, when we receive a member of the church, we, um, we say this in the bulletin. The church is a gathering of people who belong to God because they believe in his son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. The Bible refers to the city as the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the building of God, the household of God, and a foretaste of heaven. But you see, with this description of the physical city, the spiritual city, Zion and, and Jerusalem are, refer to the church. That was made clear in, in Hebrews 12. It's made clear in, in Psalm 21, or uh, Revelation 21. It's Jerusalem, the church. Zion, the church. And so with that in mind, I think I'm going to have to add something to this description of the church. It's not only the body, the, the bride, the building, the household. It's not only the foretaste of heaven. It is the city of our God. Well, let's consider briefly the background and structure of Psalm 48. Um, this continues a theme that we've seen in 46 and 47 of elation after a great deliverance from the Lord. The Lord has protected, he has provided, he has been the refuge and the strong tower. There's a local immediate setting, and we don't know exactly what, what caused this um, psalm to be written. There's the focus on Jerusalem, but you even see it in the words that we'll read. There's a focus now on the whole earth and the whole span of time. It's a psalm of Zion, it's a worship psalm, and You'll notice there are four stanzas, um, uh, two on each side of a central theme, verse, verse 8, and we'll get to that in a moment. Well, with these thoughts in mind, let's uh, now focus our attention on this psalm. Join me as I read Psalm 48. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. Selah. We have thought on your, your, on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple, 
As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. We sang to begin our worship service, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. And that title comes from Psalm 87, verse 3. But although the title comes from Psalm 87, I believe much of its substance comes from Psalm 48. Because in it, we will see four key aspects of the city. But I want us to notice, and this is really important, it's not so much the city itself as it is God's relationship to the city. You see, we're going to see his presence, his protection, his praise, and his permanence. Let's look at the first three verses, his presence. The psalm begins with a declaration. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The psalmist continues to describe the the city as as beautiful and the joy of all the earth. You know, I had to stop and realize again, this is poetry. And this is language that is heightened. and, And you can't just read Psalm 41 or really any psalm just like like it's a a tech manual or some kind of narrative. Uh, story. No, this is poetry. It causes you to stop and think about words like beautiful and joy. We see that at the beginning, that God has made himself known within this city, this city that has citadels or um, places within the city that are impregnable, that are where the city is defended from, that within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. And we we saw that, of course, earlier in Psalm 46. Luther was right to say that a mighty fortress is our God. God is present with his people, among his people, where they live, where they live. It's interesting that right off the bat, you see the theme of God making himself known, the theme of God's presence. Isn't that from beginning to end in scripture? He creates the first man and woman and the Lord is present with them, walking with them. And we see at the end of the scriptures, God is present with his people. He will be their God and they will be his people. Throw in Jesus's words, um, And I am with you always to the very end of the age. The presence of God with his people. And here in Jerusalem, in the city, the holy city, the city of our God. God's presence, as it were, fills the city. But we will also see the psalmist declare that his protection surrounds the city. God is a fortress, and you will see verses 4 through 8 develop the words that God is in the citadels, 
and he is a fortress. Listen again to verses 4 to 8. Behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. It's an assembly like we saw in Psalm 2 where the kings of the earth um, uh, rose up against the Lord, against his son. The enemy is this worldwide collection of rebellious humanity. But something interesting happens, right? They come up against the city. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in a panic. They took to flight. They saw it and they ran away. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah chapter 37. There was a time when Sennacherib, the uh, Assyrian king, was coming up against Jerusalem. We've talked about that before, that that might be one of the uh, historical things behind a psalm like this. And, And we read in Isaiah 37, beginning in verse 33, therefore says, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up it a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. They look at the city, they see the city, they are astonished, and they flee in a panic. Why? Because they recognize that God is the defender of the city. God's presence there is not only going to be the occasion for praise of his people, his presence is going to be the occasion of his power over the enemy of the city as well. It even continues to describe it. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as a woman in panic. They are running away and they're not doing well. They've seen the city. Look with me at verse 8. And we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. It's the center of confidence They have heard and they have seen. It's it's as if they're echoing Job. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What was Job's response? To repent. But here the people's response, not only of hearing, but of seeing, is to express confidence that God will establish. He'll protect Jerusalem forever. You've got two responses here to the scene of the city. Notice on the one hand, the enemy sees the city, looks upon Mount Zion and trembles and flees. On the other hand, the psalmist and his readers look at the city of our God and what do they do? They find security. They stay. They rest. The city evokes two responses. The enemy of the city trembles, panics, and runs away. The citizen of the city stays, remains, is grateful, is confident. Why? Because it's not so much their city. It's not their defenses. It's because 
this is the city of the great God. This is the city of our God. They've heard it and they see it. The psalmist wants us to know that God's presence fills the city, that God's protection surrounds the city. Continuing in Psalm 48, we see now that that God's praises rise up from the city. Beginning in verse 9, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. And so here we come, the reader comes with the eyes of faith to the temple, the heart of the the city's beauty and the city's security. Notice in verse nine, there's a statement that we have thought on, we have meditated upon. What? The steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord. The covenant love of the Lord. The Lord's unbreaking, undying, always and forever love. The the love that he extends with a promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. My friends, the psalmist is saying that God's people have thought on your steadfast love. And so the question is this for us. Have we, do we think, do we meditate, do we consider the steadfast love of the Lord? My friends, so much around us these days seems anything but steadfast. It seems changing. Who can keep up? And yet, There's the steadfast love of the Lord. It's challenging me to meditate, to think about, to consider that which doesn't change in the midst of days of change, the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalmist continues, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the end of the earth. The name of the Lord, his self-disclosure. This is who I am, Yahweh the covenant-making, the covenant-keeping God. His praise is the renown he deserves and the response it awakens in his people who see his beauty, who see his security. And notice in verse 11, let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah, the, the cities and towns and villages, that is, of Judah, rejoice because of your judgment here is gladness and joy and it's interesting isn't it why because of his judgments you see God's judgment as Jason spoke about from Exodus uh, with the plague the warning of the final plague God's judgment for for believers for his people it's relief it's rescue But for the wicked, for those that don't know the Lord, his judgments are terror. There's joy and gladness in Zion, the city of our God. There's joy and gladness in the church. I continue to think about the late Martin Lloyd-Jones, the uh, well-known British um, former physician turned pastor. And he would he would ask the self, he'd ask questions of his congregation there in London, like, 
Are, are, we, are we joyful? Are, are we joyful Christians? Are we, joy, are we a joyful church? You know, in the midst of the difficulty of life, are we joyful? Are we glad? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Um, yes, there's times, as Ecclesiastes would say, times for this and times for that. But there is joy for God's people. There is gladness for God's people as they meditate on his steadfast love, as they think about his righteous judgments. God's presence fills the city. God's protection surrounds the city. His praise rises up from the city to go to the ends of the earth. And finally, God's permanence anchors the city. You see, he and his city aren't going anywhere. So let's look at his permanence, beginning in verse 12. And you recall the psalm began with a declaration, and here it ends with an exhortation. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers. Consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God. First, the first exhortation is this, to observe and, and meditate. How beautiful is this city? How safe is this city? How full of the covenant love of God is this city? Now, earlier we spoke of Jerusalem, Zion, being understood by the writers of Scripture as the church. So do you often observe and consider and meditate on how, how beautiful, how safe, and how full of the covenant love is the church? Warts and all. Sin and all. I mean, the Lord is beautifying His bride every day. We're not there yet, but there's a beauty in it, a safety in the church. It's full of the covenant love of God. So first, the psalmist says, observe and meditate. But second, tell the next generation that you may tell the next generation. In other words, teach and instruct, telling them, telling them what we have heard and praying that they will also see what we see. Think about it. Every week, week after week, we're in God's word and we're, we're recalling his great and marvelous acts on behalf of his people. And what are we doing? We're telling the next generation. There are great grandparents in this congregation. There are grandparents and parents and sons and daughters and grandchildren and children. There's always multiple generations in the church and we're telling the next generation what we have heard and indeed we're telling them what we have seen and we're praying also that they would see what we see that they would see what we see by faith now there's a warning here it's a mistake to think that this is just somehow applicable to the outward form of Jerusalem. Remember Jeremiah's warning? We find it in Jeremiah 7. The Babylonians did destroy the city of Jerusalem in 586. 
If you go to Mark chapter 13, you have Jesus himself saying what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And indeed, in A.D. 70, the Romans sacked the city of Jerusalem. This is not some outward only. This is not God's people having some kind of magical talisman of chanting you know, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as one of the prophets said, that's not going to help you. This is not just saying the city, the city, the city, the city, and all is well. No, this, this, is, a, this is a sign of a spiritual reality. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. They themselves are not the reality. They're pointing to a reality. Jerusalem here. The church, the heavenly city, the city to come is absolutely safe. Because look how it ends. That this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. It's interesting, the Hebrew that's translated here is forever. There's some indication that it's really going to be a word for death. So it could be this, our God forever and ever, he will guide us to death and through death. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? That God has promised to be with us, never to leave us. He will guide us forever. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, we sing. Pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me by thy, help me out. Righteous hand, strong hand. You know, the, the church here is described as being indestructible because it's a fortress. And yet, Scripture also describes the church as vulnerable as a flock of sheep who wander, who get injured, who are attacked by wolves. But, oh, the Lord who is in the city is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd who guards his sheep, who guides his sheep to the end through death to the new life. You see, once again, this psalm helps us understand our Savior. You know, it would be terrible to spend time in Psalm 46 and not see it help us grow in our understanding of Jesus. Because God is with his people. He is present with his people in Jesus Christ. You see, this psalm presents the gladness and joy that we have by the covenant love of God in Christ who is the fulfillment of everything that Zion foreshadowed. You see, in Christ, and the New Testament makes this absolutely clear, in Christ there is the presence of, of God, the protection of God, the praise of God, and indeed the permanence of God. You see, God is with his people in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is with his people where? In the church. And when you look at the church, when you look at the church, what do you see? Well, some people see the church and they panic. And they flee, right? 
The enemies of the church see the church and they panic and they flee because they, all, they see God only as judge. But other people see the church and are drawn in because they see not only God as judge, but also Savior. They see the cross. They see where the justice of God and the mercy of God meet. They see in the church that there is a savior, a defender, and a friend. So my friends, when you look at the church, maybe grace and peace in particular, but the church in general, what do you see? Do you see the presence of Christ? Do you see the protection of Christ? Do you see the praise of Christ? Do you see the permanence of Christ? May we all be able to sing with profound gladness and joy these words from the hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me. Wilt be with me to the end. You see, the church has always lived in difficult and dangerous days. And yet Jesus has the church in his hands. Jesus will protect the church, be faithful to the church. He won't leave the church. He won't desert the church. He will be with the church. He will be with us to the end. So if you've been coming to Grace and Peace for a while, you've certainly heard of him. Have you also seen him? Seen him through the eyes of faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word, which once again gives us a growing understanding and appreciation of Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have promised to be with your people now and forever. And we thank you, Father, that right now we are having to walk by faith. But one day we will walk by sight when the, when the glass that we look through dimly becomes the clarity of your immediate presence. Oh, Father, help us to rejoice in your presence, your protection, your provision, and your permanence. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.